Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode 121 of the Reinventure Me Podcast. Well, when you're confused and confounded and unsure what to do, well, just do the next right thing. We're going to talk to Roger Thompson, author of that book, Do the Next Right Thing. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me Podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello, and welcome to episode 121. Uh, our announcer lied. Well, this is Larry Gates coming at you as your co-host, but Armin Asadi is not in studio today. He's off on assignment as a father of a young child. He's having to attend to an ear infection in a hospital visit, so we gave Armin a pass this is the podcast for what's next in life and for what's next in life for Armin is to be a good dad today. So he's off doing that. But this is the podcast for what's next in life. We want to explore new ways to reinvent your life, your opportunities and the ventures you're made to pursue. We have a very special guest. I'm really glad to have back in the studio again, Roger Thompson. Welcome, Roger. Thank you, Larry. Great to be here again. Now, for our faithful listeners who've listened to all 121 episodes, including 15 Toolbox episodes, perhaps, you might recognize Roger. He was with us back in episode 25, which was nearly two years ago now, Roger, that Amazing. we sat here Amazing. in studio and did this. But just a little background on Roger, and then you know, you probably best to speak for yourself. But back in episode 25, and a great show, though, by the way, and I think you should listen to it, because Roger did something that many people, I think, even told you probably wasn't likely to have happen, right? I think you were shaking your head. <laughs> I know. I was, but you know, I was your friend, so I was like wanting to affirm in one. <laughs> <laughs> face to face and behind and, and the worry about me. and then worry about you when we left. Exactly right. That was very good. Well, here's what Roger did. A couple of years ago now, Roger relinquished his role as the lead pastor of a rather prominent Twin Cities church. And he did what many people said couldn't be done, which is that he stepped aside to bring in a younger leader to lead that church forward while he took the role as teaching pastor in Pastor of Ministry to Men. And many times you know, the conventional wisdom is you can't stay on as a leader because you cast a shadow and that's a problem for the new leader coming in. And we talked about that whole dynamic two years ago. Mm -hmm. That was probably what, a year after, or maybe nine months or so after that transition took place. I forget. About six months after. Was that six months after? And so now just the brief report on that, Roger, how's it going two years and six months later? Well, everybody died. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) No, it it has gone great. I think one thing I would add to that is I'm I'm half-time. I'm not there full-time. I'm Mm half-time. But I still have a very significant pastoral role. And our new lead pastor, Wes, knows who he is, has a solid identity. We have a great relationship, and I've been very gratified in not only seeing my role evolve in a new way, but seeing growth in the church you know, theoretically, what you want to say is, you know, I'll do anything that will help the kingdom of God grow. 
but practically speaking, then when it happens and you're not the one who was there and you see so many things that you could have seen last year or two years ago or five years ago, and you wonder, well, why didn't that happen when I was there? You know, I've had to fight. I've admitted this publicly that, you know, I've struggled with the issue of jealousy Mm -hmm. and comparison and envy, but that flesh has to be killed very frequently. But that's been a good growth process for me, but it's been a very uh, joyful atmosphere, an expectant atmosphere. I've grown, the church has grown, I think Wes is growing. Yeah, well, I think, and I said it then back in episode 25, but even more so now when I've seen all that transformation really Mm -hmm. taking place, what an amazing thing that you guys did and did together, and it really is a testimony to your attitude and your disposition and, and really, you know, should I say? Do the next right thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. For you, that was the next right thing, right? Yeah, it was. And yeah. I'm saying this because during that period of time, Roger set out to do the next right thing for him, which was to write a book, obviously titled <laughs> "Do the, the Next, next right, right Thing." And when we were meeting over this one time, we had a. <laughs> I could just have to laugh at this because for some reason I still have this. We were meeting over this for lunch, and Roger gave me a copy of the book. We we actually met at a Chinese restaurant, and I have the fortune cookie. That came along with it. I stuck it, stuck it in my book. It says, "Your graceful qualities make difficult things seem easy," <laughs> which just didn't seem like a fit for me at all. It almost seemed like your difficult qualities make graceful things seem hard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it seemed like that was a better fit for me. But I loved Roger the fact that not only did you take the time to do something that I know has been in your heart for a long, long time. But you you evidenced what you did through your own transition in terms of doing the next right thing. But then you put that to work in in writing a, a very useful book. I had the opportunity to write an endorsement for it. But that's what we want to talk about today. And this is one of those books that you want to turn to when you're kind of confused and uncertain about what to do. And it seems like a very simple principle. But talk about what prompted you to write this book, first of all. Well, this this book is really a lifelong product of ministry, pastoral ministry, after decades of of meeting people with difficult situations, humanly impossible dilemmas, confounding, as you said in the introduction, things that happen in their lives. And many of them have come to me saying, well, you know, what do I do now? Uh, What is God's plan for me? And many of them are coming wanting that biblical two aspirin and Mm -hmm. or a prescription on how do I get out of this? Or they ask the question, why is this happening to me, or what's God trying to teach me? And over the years, I've I've used this phrase. Well, let's let's determine what's the next right thing, mm-hmm. because if you do the next right thing, and then the next right thing, and that becomes a reiteration of continually looking, what's the next right thing? It's amazing to me how the horizon opens up, even in my own life. Obviously, I've experienced that. Yeah, and for many other people, it's been a means of asking them, well. Is there a phone call you need to make today that you could go and do? Well, then go do that. Is there a person you need to meet with? Is there, is there something you need to do at the bank? Is there a confession you need to make to somebody that you've hurt? Mm-hmm. Is there a conflict that's alive in your life that you need to begin to move toward restoration? Well, let's do the next right thing mm-hmm. and see how God opens up new opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not try to fix the whole snarled, ball of twine all at once. Yeah. We don't, we don't have the wisdom for that. So that's where it came from. The book is a product of eight years of, as you know, you mm-hmm. and I both have been aspiring writers and mm-hmm. 
it happened in fits and starts. And when I finally transitioned out of my lead role, I had as one of my goals that, that the next right thing for the next year was to finish up this book. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people, and I think this is the point you're trying to address is a lot of people get stuck in figuring out what to do because they feel like they have to have the whole roadmap. Yes. And uh, the thesis of your book is you don't need to have the whole roadmap. In fact, you probably won't know what that looks like. What you need to do is the next right thing or best available of the options that you have. So talk about how that works. What does that look like? Well, I think that you're right. People have ideas about guidance and we've been fed this, you know, there's five steps to this and three steps to that. And, and here's how you solve your, this particular problem. But people come in real life with all kinds of problems. It might be unemployment or foreclosure or an impending divorce or a life-threatening cancer or a special needs child, or they have a really a tangled and dysfunctional extended family. And they come with this basket of symptoms and problems and they want to know what would untangle this. Is there one single move I could make to untangle all of this? And there is not one single thing mm-hmm. that they can do, but there is one single thing they can start. So moving into it, walking back toward the problem by saying, here's something that I can do. And I think it's a very biblical process because I think if, if I do the next right thing, according to God's prompting, his word and wisdom, and then... Tomorrow I do the next right thing after that and the next right thing after that. I think it's another way of saying this is how you walk in the Spirit of God. Mm. And that's really keeping with, the, you know, we talked before this recording about what has inspired you, and you used the verse from Second Peter one three. Describe that, and it seems like that's a good fit for what we're talking about here. Well, I, I throughout the book I use the story of Peter, mm-hmm. because Peter is someone who's telling the readers of this letter of Second Peter, uh, chapter one. I use that that section where he says, "Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self control." And he has eight what I call handholds that we add to our faith. Mm-hmm. And it's especially poignant because Peter is now thirty years after his betrayal and restoration by Jesus. He is now living in a different place. He's writing to political and spiritual refugees in what would be modern-day Turkey. They are people under pressure, and he's telling them, here's how you live a godly life. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness, and then he enumerates Mm -hmm. what these basic tools are. You could think of them like keys on a piano that we use over and over again. I've used them as a a metaphor of handholds that a climber uses and reuses handholds all the time not only to keep from falling, but also to make progress. Mm -hmm. So I see this incrementalism in Peter that you add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, etc. And he's not doing it like climbing a ladder toward elitism. He's not saying, now you leave behind knowledge once you get to the issue of self-control. He's saying, no, at any given moment, you need to use these Mm handholds. And so we have this array of tools that we can use. And, of course, many of them are attitudinal and spiritual that we apply to ourselves. And when we do that, the future begins to open up. Mm -hmm. And I see this in the lives of people who Mm -hmm. who have practiced some of these handholds. Now, the the verse, 2 Peter 1, 3, which you have in your book as well, and you just said it a minute ago, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, seems to me like that's almost ground zero, isn't it? In that if you know that you have everything you need 
then you can make the decision that you need to make. But if you are confused and dazed and knocked upside the head and, and uncertain about what your options are, you might not think you have any, that you don't have what you need. Well, especially when we're confused, yeah. when we're fearful, yeah. when we're feeling guilty or somehow defective because our life isn't working out the way we wanted it to. And we have all these advisors around us telling us, you should do this and you should do that. Yeah, we don't really feel like God has given us everything we need. Mm-hmm. And that, But then Peter goes on to enumerate, Here's the, here are the tools that he's given us, because this is, these are practical handholds that God has given us, and we can walk into every one of those. Yeah, so each chapter of the book builds on each of these handholds that Roger's describing. Don't think I've asked you this question, Roger, before when we've talked about the book and the concept for it, but I'm sure you, sure you have a good answer here. Isn't it? That is, it seems like in the title, Do the Next Right Thing, and really that's something that you've articulated for much longer than the time that you've been writing this book. It's almost been a core life principle for you. But it seems to me like the key word here is right thing, you know, because it's one thing to, you know, make a decision, but how do you know? when you're perplexed? Is there, is there some strategy that we ought to think about, some principles that we ought to keep in mind in discerning the right from the things that might look like they're right, but how do we know what, what right is here? Well, most of the time they're not catastrophic choices. Most of the time it's, it's things like, well, let's take self-control. You know, that's a, that's a huge one that we, we use all the time. There's a need for me to choose the next right thing and to use self-control to do that so that I don't rocket off on my own passions, my own selfishness, my own uh, greed or lust. I need to, the next right thing for me in times when I'm, when I'm feeling either tempted or I'm feeling ready to lash out at something. It's not hard to pick mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to do, which, mm-hmm. is, which is self-control. Yeah, It's a little harder for people who are caught in what I would call situations of perseverance. That's one of the handholds. And that's what, let's talk about that because I think there might be a number of our listeners who are wondering, you know, should I stay with this job or should I leave? Should I stay with this new business idea or should I give it up? And, and there are those times when you, there's a value in our culture about perseverance. In fact, there's almost this myth that if you persevere, you will succeed. There's almost this um, uh, equation that we have in American culture that suggests that sometimes perseverance is obstinance and not a a quality. And so, you know, when you're in the midst of that and, and you're trying to figure out what's right, what are some of the things that you've discovered as you've been counseling people or thought about it and how you've written it in your book? What are some of the ways in which you dissect some of those more perplexing questions? Well, let's take perseverance. I define it in a certain way. I define endurance as doing something very, very hard. It takes a lot of, of, well, endurance. It takes a lot of energy to do it, but you know where the finish line is. Mm -hmm. I define perseverance as something that demands just as much energy, but you don't know where the finish line is. Mm -hmm. So for people in in situations that are, for example, I know some people with, with a son who's 18 years old. His body is as stiff as a board. He's, he weighs it more than his mother now. There's no perceivable change in that life. Mm -hmm. There's no single decision they can make to, to, to heal that, to, to make that different, but they have to every day choose perseverance. So the key thing there is not so much about outcomes. It's more about attitude. Mm -hmm. 
because what they need to remember is that perseverance is a biblical virtue. Mm-hmm. And we so often feel defective if we feel like, well, hey, I've, I've, I've prayed and God hasn't gotten me out of this. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't sent me the answer. What's wrong with me? And I, I personally think that many of us are looking for some kind of magic pill when in fact God is saying, I haven't answered yet, but you still have an option, and that is persevere. Mm-hmm. Wake up every morning and do your preparations, take care of the things you need to do. But remember, I'm with you. I've given you all things you need, and many of those all things that you need is the presence of Christ himself. Yeah. Now, when you set out to write this book, I know that this is born out of your own experiences and talking to a lot of people, but why do you suppose they get stuck in the first place in in their inability to think about what the next right thing is? What are some of those things that, that prevent people from just naturally doing the next right thing without having to read your book. <laughs> well, I think it's because they think they can do the next magical thing. Oh. Uh, we can do the next big decision. We'll have this blinding insight or uh, some anointing will come to us. And I don't, I don't want to bleach this of the supernatural. Obviously God can do miracles and yeah. he can rescue. He can part the red sea. He can feed 5,000 people. He can do those things. But I think a lot of it has to do with a, a core theology about guidance that when people, I've heard this so many times, countless times, people have said, what's God trying to teach me in this? Mm-hmm. Like, God is speaking in code, and I have to figure out the code, because he's really not, it's not obvious to me. So I often tell them, God's not trying to teach you anything in this, mm-hmm. in the sense that it's encoded in some secret. Yeah, What God is saying is, this is life, it's hard, you can make a decision. And that decision may be, may be perseverance, it might be self-control, it might be loving the one who's being harsh to you right now, but there is a right decision. So the issue is more, what are you becoming in the crisis rather than how do you get out of it? Yeah, I often find that when I ask God that question, like, oh, what is it you're trying to teach me in this? It isn't so that I learn it as much as it is so that I get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. And, and we all want out of it. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't blame people for wanting out yeah. of it. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that this is especially helpful to think through and, and choose to look at the small things because the small things might be the next right thing. And I don't mean small as being unimportant. I don't mean small as being less difficult, but small in terms of it's not a magic bullet and it's not necessarily the thing that's going to create the immediate escape. You know, you've you've talked in the past, Roger, I know from our, our friendship and also from having the opportunity to, to sit under your messages for 23 years, that you've often talked about our culture programming us to think in terms of instant results to things. You, I remember one message you gave where you, you illustrated that by talking about the episodes on television that, you know, wrap up in, you know, 23 minutes for commercial time and all the rest, and that we get to this habit of thinking that the problems that we have in our lives somehow should have some easy off-ramp, some way in which we can reach closer, closure with. And is this book written for those who might be tempted to have that kind of thinking and really maybe an encouragement for them just to continue in the pursuit that they have, even if there's no clear exit for the challenge that they might be experiencing? Yes, it's, it's written not to scold people. You know, not to rub their noses in it, but to invite them into a, a wider picture of God's providence. Mm. And if it's really true, and I think we also learn through the the biography of Peter that I weave through this book. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he he was a spectacular failure, 
in his early ministry, even though he had all this talent and potential. You know, he gave a great press conference. He was the yeah. natural leader, et cetera, but he was an accident waiting to happen. And the other <laughs> disciples must have been going, Peter, just just be quiet. Chill you know? your jets, yeah. Yeah, just, just go away. But Jesus came and rescued him and said, I want you now to go and feed my sheep. And so now he's writing 30 years later, and he's been through a lot of persecution, a lot of hardship, but he's learned. Uh-huh. And Peter also knows that that he is not going to be going home to glory in in a golden chariot because mm-hmm. Jesus prophesied that he would die at the hands of others, unable to help himself, unable even to dress himself. Mm-hmm. So here's Peter persevering in the next right thing, uh, day after day after day, knowing that the end is not going to be glorious. Lord, yeah, actually, would that be endurance in your well, that earlier would, yeah, definition? That would be perseverance. I think it's okay. one of the clearest co- you know, uh, corollaries with Peter's own experience. Yeah. So yes, the book is meant to be an encouragement to people that just because you don't have the answer today, or or your pastor's inadequate to give you the answer, maybe it's a written in self-defense as a pastor, you know, to help people see that <laughs> I don't have the answer to your problem either, but maybe together we can figure out Here's something you can do, and then you can do one more thing, and then you can do another thing. And <laughs> over time, God God heals, God directs, God opens up insight. He brings along resources. Let me give you an example. I'm, I'm mentoring a young man, mostly by telephone. He lives in another city now. He's in a very difficult marriage situation, and he, he's been a classic case of a guy who calls me, and, and, and we have a great relationship, and I really love him. And, but he's always asking me the question, What's God trying to teach me? And I say, well, you know, he's really probably trying to teach you that you should not do any harm back to the nasty text that you just got. Mm. So do the next right thing and don't do that. Mm-hmm. Do no harm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe the next week he'll say, hey, I, I need to do this or that for my family and, and my wife really doesn't want me to do it. And we try to figure out, well, what can you do that doesn't trample on her parental rights but that does something loving and, and kind for your children and for her. And he's been doing that. He's been teachable. And just a little while ago, I got a, a phone call from him. He said, you won't believe this, but, you know, I've been separated from my wife for over a year, and um, we have a date. That's a product, and I don't know where that's going to go, but that's a product of little things done, sowing seed over time, and he's beginning to see that growth. And I'm seeing a change in him. Because he's not just thinking like you would think, mm-hmm. how do I get out of this? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and you're talking about taking the little course corrections, which yeah. are not necessarily driven by the desire to escape, but like you said, the desire to do the next right thing. Right. I love what you said about writing from a pastor's perspective. It made me wonder if the title of the book should have, should have been, don't ask me, just do the next right thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe I've written this out of self-defense, you know, that uh, really I'm not smart enough to figure out the dilemmas of people's lives. Yeah, and to be clear, this book really isn't written from a solution perspective. There's no formulas in this book. This is intended to be reflective for you to think through some of these handholds as Roger's describing and to find ways in which you might apply that in your own life to develop the perseverance that you need and and to choose to look at the smaller things, perhaps, the smaller choices that you have, the the more daily, the more moment-by-moment choices rather than trying to stress yourself out over the big, huge solution that's going to be the enduring solution to your problem, yeah. right? And, and we've been talking about it as if it's a, almost a, a book of recipes of, mm. 
drawing diagrams and, 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 and figuring it's not out at all the next that. right thing. It's really a development of each one of these words. It's really a Bible study in mm-hmm. what these words imply and what they mean in our mm-hmm. life. You know, words, words like godliness and brotherly kindness and love and mm-hmm. goodness and knowledge. All those things that you put onto your faith, right? All of those things mm-hmm. are, um, are handholds that will hold us, and they do two things. They keep us from falling, and they also help us make progress. Mm-hmm. And I find that when people, you know, sometimes I'll see people on a weekly basis in a, in a mentoring or counseling situation, and I find that when they, can, when they can go and do some right things and come back, then we have a whole new environment to, to walk in, to walk about and say, now what's the next thing? What's mm-hmm. the next thing? And so we're not just saying that this is an individualistic de- decision. I think counsel can help. I'll often point out to people, you know, one of the things you need to do is you need to, you need to call up somebody and, and uh, start healing that wrong that you've done. Mm-hmm. And it's the scariest thing that they've ever done. Yeah. They're just thinking about the wrong done to them, and they're not thinking about Mm. making restitution to Mm -hmm. someone else. Mm -hmm. Now, I know the principles in here apply to everyone, but at the top of your book, it says eight handholds for every man. Right. So are you you writing this just to men? Well, I I say facetiously, well, it's true. I say it's it's aimed at men, but it's safe for women. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I tried to kind of be ambidextrous as I wrote it, you know, to both men and women, and I was using both both of those pronouns. And, and finally, uh, uh, I got some counsel that said, just, just aiming at men, you mm-hmm. know, but I do think it would be a great Bible study, a couple's small group study yeah, because it really naturally breaks down into eight. Well, and I know I have, having read it, that the principles are applicable to yeah. everyone really. Yeah, the, and yeah. and it's, if, it's not a macho book about men. It's just that all, most of the stories I tell are about climbing and sailing and running and different things like that. So, so they're kind of male, oriented. Yeah. And of course uh, you're coming, you're coming yeah. through that because right. of, you know, your own gender, obviously, yeah, but exactly. so where can we find more information about the book and, and about you? How, where can our listeners learn more about? Well, that? It, is, it is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can go to Amazon and find it there. It will be out in a digital format in about a month. Mm-hmm. So I think the first million buyers of the book will get the most blessing out of it. <laughs> of course they will. <laughs> and so will you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to also have links to the Amazon link and, and also you have a, you have a blog as well, Roger, is that, that still working? Is in, that is in development. Yeah. Well, there, there'll be a website. Okay. The book, yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to get a, a link to the website, to the book, but we're also going to make a deal here for you. Roger's given a small number of supply here for us to share with our listening audience autographed perhaps sure all right roger will provide an autographed copy now all you need to do is just share this episode out on social media and be sure that you link back to reinventure me so just include us in the share so we know that you've done that and then we'll reach back out to you and we'll find a way to get a a copy of roger's new book to you so roger we probably should think about how we want to challenge our listeners from this episode we like to put a challenge out there every time so we have some practical takeaway to think about and how would you do that well, I would think about something that you have in your life that is complex. It might be your health. It might be your employment situation. It might be your children. It might be a wayward son or daughter. Uh, it could be an extended family that you're going to be seeing this summer and you're not really looking forward to it. So think about what's the next right thing I could do in that context. Is there a phone call I can make? Is there an environment I can set? Is there a person I need to contact in advance so that when I go into that situation, I've prepared the way? Is there 
a principle I need to teach? Is there tough love I need to give? So just what is the next thing? And mm-hmm. usually it feels fairly threatening. Mm-hmm. It's usually but, a thing you're resisting. Yeah, right? it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be an alligator, but it, mm-hmm. it, it's just something you've been putting <laughs> off. Mm-hmm. And it's just that one. Inc- and, and also the reason we put it off is because we know it's not going to solve everything. Mm-hmm. But that's why we do the next right thing, mm-hmm. because it's the next and then it'll be something after that. So yeah. it's very, pra- very practical. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, this is the podcast for what's next in life. And so what's next in life for you is to discern what is the next right thing for you and whatever challenging situation you have. And sometimes, I think oftentimes, Roger, we go through life and we just hope that these problems go away by not attending to them. And I think the point of your book is just take a small step, leaning into the challenges that you have, do what you can, trust God for the rest, and see where that takes you. God will meet you there, Yeah, and he will, he will give you courage. Yeah, and if and if we believe that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, this is living out faith, right? Doing yes, this and doing is. the next right thing. Yes. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for this episode. Roger, thanks so much for being a part of this show. I always enjoy our time together and and you know, we can always swap other stories later, but but I'm glad that you're able to be on the show. Again, 100 episodes from from the first time that we have. We'll have you on uh, episode 220. All right, I'll write another book. There you go. There you go. So that's it. If you want to get at the show notes, join us at reinventure.me slash 121. Leave a question there or comment for Roger or for myself or call our show line at 612-314-5447. When you're there, be sure to subscribe to our show notes. They'll be sent to you automatically in your inbox. So this is Larry Gates and Roger Thompson saying so long and thanks for being a part of this episode. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.